while these cartels are very violent, they're also very rational. They understand that it would be terrible business to help a terrorist group, you know, an attack against the United States. Now, would the Mexicans sell drugs to Hezbollah? Absolutely. Welcome to Stratfor's Pen and Sword podcast. I'm Fred Burton. Today I'm speaking with Stratfor's Vice President of Tactical Analysis, Scott Stewart. Scott, let's talk about the ongoing cross-border drug trade between Mexico and the United States. There was a significant escalation of major armed conflict between the Mexican government and the cartels in 2019. Yeah, it's it, it, we've really seen a, a continuation of the violence, and you know, as as we're writing about it and analyzing it, what we're really seeing is kind of a, a state of stasis. Uh, you know, the, these these conflict zones are remaining hot, and, and you know, in past years, going back into like you know, two thousand three, two thousand five, even two thousand ten, two thousand eleven, we would have kind of these spikes as organizations would move into a specific locality and you know, fight another organization for control of of that smuggling plaza or that route. Um, but, but generally, those those would be resolved. You know, somebody would come out on top, and then uh, you know things would die down as you know the new big dog kind of assumed control of, of the criminal turf there. But what we're seeing really in, in the last several years has been this uh, this state of, of unresolved conflict, and a lot of that has a, has to do with really the, the organizations that are, are fighting it out and are behind most of the violence in Mexico today. Now. This is something that you and I have been talking about since 2006, and you've been spearheading our cartel analysis, which as you look at uh, this space, what do you see as those kinds of areas and what kind of groups are emerging that that our listeners really need to keep an eye on? Well, really, at, at this point, um, the, the two most powerful organizations in Mexico uh, is, is still the Sinaloa cartel, uh, which is very well known. But then you also have the cartel de Jalisco Nueva Generación, the CJNG, which has been really the, the most uh, – rapidly growing and most aggressive cartel group. And most of the conflict zones that we see, whether it's along the border or elsewhere in Mexico, a lot of the violence is actually a result of CJNG aggression. Um, and, and, and in some way, they're kind of following the pattern that we saw the Sinaloa cartel uh, do, you know, a decade ago. So, you know, 2003, we saw that big spike, uh, you know, in Nuevo Laredo and, and Reynosa area as uh, Sinaloa cartel att- attempted to move in there and take over that turf from the Gulf cartel as it was starting to break up. Um, but now what we see is, and, and then of course after that they went in, you know, after Tijuana, they went after Juarez, uh, Sinaloa did. But now we're seeing kind of the same thing playing out today, uh, with the, the CJNG, uh, really trying, because they also don't own a, a plaza. They don't own a smuggling plaza. So they have to pay other groups to move their product through those, those towns. So that's, you know, Tijuana, uh, you have some of the, you know, Nogales, other towns in Sonora, you have Juarez. And then, of course, the, the big one is Nuevo Laredo because of the I-35 corridor, you know, that's kind of the, the NAFTA superhighway of drugs. But then Reynosa and Matamoros as well across the border. El Chapo's uh, demise and the and the fall of his empire, has that really caused any kinds of shifts inside of Mexico? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, as far as the demise of his empire, we, we did see some additional fracturing of, of the Sinaloa. But really, their problems started uh, you know, much earlier um, than that, when we had the Beltran-Laval organization break off. 
um, and then other organizations, even the CJNG eventually broke off out of them. Um, but, but really since El Chapo's arrest and extradition and, and uh, of course his conviction – uh, this past year, um, his uh, sons and his business partner, Ismael uh, Zambada Garcia, um, um, Mayo, they've been able to really kind of right the ship a little bit. They've been able to stave off most of the internal problems and kind of consolidate. So really in, in Sinaloa world, uh, internally right now, they're probably more kind of cohesive than they have been for several years. But their big problem right now is this challenge that they're having from CJNG kind of across the board. So, you know, they had assumed control pretty much of Tijuana, of Juarez, you know, the, the smuggling plazas in Sonora as well. But what we're seeing is that the CJNG is partnering up with local groups that, that Sinaloa had, had vanquished to kind of go back in and attempt to kick Sinaloa out. And so that's what's causing a lot of, of the, the, the violence right now today. But the problem is because of the kind of the power of Sinaloa and CJNG, um, you know, the finances they have, the manpower, the weaponry, uh, it's really causing these fights to be protracted. And so we're seeing a, just a continuation of these very bloody fights in, you know, places like Tijuana, uh, like Juarez. Now, business is obviously still brisk here in the United States with the the – Demand. I know in our past conversations with Mexican government officials, they are quick to bring to our attention that uh, part of the problem with the violence in Mexico is this huge demand here in the United States. Now that we have all of these states here in the United States that have legalized, for example, marijuana, has that shown any kind of reduction in violence inside of Mexico? Uh, not at all. First of all, a lot of the the fights right now are you know for the smuggling process, and that's mostly for for these harder drugs. So you know it's the methamphetamine, it's the heroin, it's the fentanyl, the cocaine that's coming in from from South America. That really doesn't have a lot to do with the marijuana trade. It doesn't really have an impact. But what we have been seeing over the past year. That's related to the, the marijuana trade is interesting. And we've seen this shift on the Mexican side where we're seeing more and more cannabis oil. Um, so what they're, what they're doing instead of just, you know, kind of the old days, you had the picture of, you know, these guys running through the desert with the big bundles of, of marijuana right. uh, bricks on their back. That's kind of changing now. So instead of these big bales of marijuana, they're starting to condense it uh, into this, this cannabis oil. And uh, it's much more compact, um, you know, than – Easier to move? Well, exactly. That makes it smaller, more compact to smuggle. And, and what you're smuggling is more valuable. So, you know, I've seen some estimates that maybe a five-gallon bucket of this cannabis oil is worth about a half a million dollars. Wow. You know, as opposed to something about the same size, say, you know, one of those those big uh, bundles of marijuana that you have on your back, you know, probably about the same weight, same size, is, is not worth anything near that. So, so this really allows them to, you know – have more value going through there. Also, there's been kind of a qualitative thing. You know, as we've seen the legalization of marijuana in the U.S., um, there's a lot of high quality stuff being produced by these growers in California and Colorado and elsewhere. And so the marijuana grown in Mexico and traditionally smuggled from Mexico is seen as kind of, you know, second grade stuff. It's just not as desirable. By making uh, this cannabis oil, it's just a way for the Mexican growers to kind of bypass that. The oil can be used in vaping cartridges and also, uh, you know, the cannabis edibles that are very popular in the U.S. We'll get back to our conversation in just a minute, but I wanted to talk to you first about Stratfor Worldview. 
When people ask me what we do here at Stratfor, I always try to say that we make sense of the world. Uh, look, I've been here now going on almost 20 years, and I've had lots of opportunities to go elsewhere. I've uh, been lucky enough to have cobbled together a few books, but I can say this, that when I sit around the analyst table every morning and watch uh, some of our analysis being put together, I think people uh, would be surprised. And I think that for those of you who really want to see why uh, the world works the way it does, uh, without the bias, without the spin, without the inside the beltway kind of uh, takeaways, uh, I would encourage you to take a look at what we do. Let me make you a special offer. Go to stratfor.com slash Fred Burton and take a look at what we do every day. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Last week, I, I took a look at some media reporting out of Mexico on, again, another escalation of uh, homicides inside of Mexico. It seems like every year it's just getting worse and worse. And I think that a lot of people are just immune to that kind of data anymore. It's, it's almost frightening to me that, that folks just don't understand the scope of the kind of murder rates that we're seeing. What's your take on that? Well, I, I think it's important to keep it in perspective. I mean, so certainly, you know, the, the 34, almost 35,000 murders, uh, you know, homicides linked to the, the drug trade uh, last year are significant. But, you know, Mexico's a big country. And even there, when we're looking at those murders, that's only about half of the drug overdose deaths in the United States every year. I think the last year we had figures for was like 2017. Right. And that was 70,000 people died from drug overdoses. So really – Here in the United States. Here in the, just in the United States. Right. Um, so really when we're looking at it in, in that kind of perspective, it's, it's not huge. And it's not like it's sometimes portrayed in the media or you know these movies like you know a Sicario or whatever. You know, it, it's not like there's constant shootouts all the time. There are zones that are hotter. There are places that are more dangerous. But by and large, most of the homicides involve cartel-on-cartel cartel violence. Um, obviously, you also have some significant firefights between the government and the cartels. But really, you know, most of this is criminal on criminal. And so a lot of the, the, the normal people really aren't impacted in, in the same way. Now, is there a lot of other crimes, street crime? Yeah, there, there are problems with those issues. But it's still not like everybody's really under siege. Most Mexican citizens can pretty much – or expatriates living in Mexico can go through their lives without really being impacted by criminality. I think what happens – and as you know, we've been following this since 2006 here at Stratfor – is you get the horrific killings of, for example, the, the family that was shot and killed uh, along the border or we had in years gone by like Falcon Lake and mm -hmm. so forth, uh, the, the murder of Tiffany Hartley's husband. And, and it appears that the mainstream media just seizes upon those and and kind of amplifies that and magnifies that to the point that it looks like this is taking place throughout Mexico. Yeah, and, and that's bad. I mean, the, the LeBaron murders uh, there, you know, on this uh, Sonora Chihuahua border area were terrible, but it, it really is just a, a small incident in something that's been happening, you know, in, in many different zones. You know, it does tend to be amplified here in the U.S. because we had dual citizens involved. You know, right. they, they were basically American citizens. Most of them had been born in Mexico, but still, since they were Americans, since they were blonde Caucasians, it, it got a lot more media attention than the things that happened to you know regular Mexicans every day. And I thought that was kind of uh, unfortunate as well. When you start looking at uh, the border in general, it's such a political issue with. 
the border wall and and all the politics of the border and it's something that's that is near and dear to our heart being here in Texas we we are certainly cognizant of uh, the violent gangs and the street mm-hmm. gangs as a result of the drug trade and so forth but you consistently hear these reports of international terrorist organizations such as Hezbollah that is somehow cooperating with the Mexican cartels. What's your take on that? I think it's very important to understand that, that yeah, while these cartels are very violent, um, and you know, we've kind of talked about them as being really insurgents at some point, but they're also very rational. Uh, you know, they understand that it would be terrible business to help a terrorist group, you know, an attack against the United States. Now, would the Mexicans sell drugs to Hezbollah? Absolutely. And certainly when we look at Hezbollah's finance and logistics network globally, it's very dependent on everything from counterfeit Viagra to heroin to cocaine. And they've also been very involved – Hezbollah has been very involved in the years – in laundering money. Uh, from the U.S., so we we have seen Hezbollah go and you know buy used cars with cash in the U.S., take those to Africa and sell them. Yeah, very active. Then, very yeah, active oh yeah, very very cars, very yeah. active uh, in, in money laundering. You know, for for Colombian yeah. and uh, and Latin American uh, drug smugglers, but that's different from smuggling uh, attackers into the United States. Right. A- and uh, you know these criminal groups, uh, you know, especially Mexico, are very, very keen to that. Um, actually, I wrote a piece last week talking about why you know the Mexican cartels aren't using vehicle bombs, and and it's really you know the same thing. They don't want to be seen as narco terrorists. Right. They saw what happened to Pablo Escobar in in Colombia, and and the way that, that, that not only didn't end too well for him. It didn't end well for Escobar. But really, you know, so not only did you have the full weight of their own government and the United States government come down on them as a criminal organization. But really the people turned against them because of the just indiscriminate nature of the vehicle bombs. And then especially when they started like the, the one bombing that we investigated was the one against the market where they sold the the, the school supplies. Sure. And, and most of the victims were, were moms and kids. Right. And that really turned the, the public against Pablo Escobar and the, and the Medellin cartel. And it, it resulted in just a, a an avalanche or a waterfall of intelligence uh, as people started ratting them out and their operations out as they turned against them. And, and it, you know, it's very important for these criminal groups, uh, to, if they're going to continue operating successfully, to really have uh, you know kind of the support of the people. And so that's why we see you know at Christmas time where they hand out goods to families, whether it's food, gifts to children, they're trying to kind of you know buy goodwill in the community. They want to keep the business going, keep the dope flowing, the money and the guns coming back the other way, you know, for for years or decades. So they're really in this for the long haul, and they have that kind of you know logistics business type mindset. And they're pretty good at it. Uh, as you look towards uh, our forecast that's going to be published, and I would certainly encourage anybody listening to this to, to take a look at it. What's the one single? takeaway that you think is different in this forecast or is it steady state? Well, a couple different things. Let me put it this way. Number one is we expect the CJNG, if they're able to uh, remain intact, you know, without being really having a you know decapitation strike against El Mencho, uh, really seeing them begin to branch out into other parts of the country where they haven't been active yet. So we're expecting to see them get more active uh, in places like Torreon, probably Monterrey, and you know more towards uh, kind of the northeast a little bit. We're also expecting to see kind of a, a shift in, in operations or a continuation of shift in operations of, of some of the other criminal activities. So one of the things we've been watching is, is cargo theft pretty closely, 
And over the last year, we've seen a shift in cargo theft from these sophisticated groups that were working around Mexico City up towards uh, the border more. So we're starting to see those same kind of tactics uh, and techniques used in, in cargo theft in places like Guadalajara, uh, up towards Monterrey. And those are important kind of industrial centers, sure. but also logistics centers for, for sending things into the United States. So there's a lot of logistics there on the roads out of those centers. And we're starting to see kind of an increase in, in sophisticated cargo theft there. So that's one of the things that we're watching that can really have an impact on businesses. The other thing that we're concerned about though is if Something was to happen, say to El Mancho, and, and and you know the CJNG is decapitated, and they start to break up, similar to what we saw with Los Zetas or right. the Gulf Cartel before them, and and that's an important part, by the way. Um, you know, when we talk about the cartels, I, I still see people trying to refer to the Gulf Cartel as a single entity, and it simply is not. I mean, they've totally imploded, and, and what you have now are just a lot of little gangs, that, and many of them still use the Gulf Cartel name. But in, in many uh, places, you know, like Reynosa right now, they're fighting each other. The same thing with Los Zetas. You know, they, they have totally broken up and, and there are, you know, at least half a dozen different Los Zetas right now. And most of them are fighting each other. I, I'm concerned that that same thing could happen with CJNG. And if that happens, things could get very messy and, and, and for business as well. Because not only are we going to probably see a, a, an in, increase in the fighting in, say, Guadalajara, which is an important commercial you know, and, and industrial center, but I'm also concerned uh, that we're going to see an increase in fighting over the ports uh, that the CJNG basically controls right now. You know, so, you know, Manzanillo, uh, Lázaro Cárdenas, Veracruz. And that can also have an impact on business, uh, you know, if that does happen. So, so those are the kind of things that we're looking out for in, in, in the coming year. Well, thank you, Scott. Uh, That's been most informative. And for those of you who would like more on our Mexico cartel coverage and Scott's writings on this topic, please visit stratford.com slash subscribe. And I'm Fred Burton. And I'm Scott Stewart. Thanks. Thanks.